Uh, uh, thank Jeff for covering for me these past couple weeks. We were on uh, vacation. Our family had a trip to Florida, so we had a great time. Uh, but it's good to be back. And um, thank him for being ready for this morning too. I've been a little bit under the weather, so I'm, I'll warn you today. I'm not. I'm not functioning on you know full cylinders today, and it's it's arguable, you know how effective I am when I'm am on full, have everything running, and I'm not not quite close to 100% today. But um, so it was kind of touch and go. Jeff was ready to step up this morning if if need be, uh, but but here I am. We'll see if we we'll we'll make it through the next 50 minutes or so. Pray for that. But um, it's great to be back. It's great uh, to be home. I'm excited to be back up here with you. I'm especially excited to preach the passage that we have in front of us today. Um, It's an incredibly important passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. Um, So let's do it. If you have your Bibles with you, I I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. We kicked off the chapter Last week, verses 1 through 5, and today we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. And we're going to see the good work of suffering. That's the title of today's message. And, and listen, I know how that sounds, but I promise you, if you take today's message and, and you really consider it and you apply it, it will help you. Today's message is one of those practical ones that, that will really help you, because I, I think this is one of the most powerful texts in the Bible. And, and I, I understand the, the folly in, in that statement because all of the Bible is God's word. And, and, and so, you know, in that sense, one isn't more important than the other. So I, I get that. But here's why I say that, and, 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 and here's why I mean it. I, be, I believe that an improper and an unbiblical perspective on suffering is one of the primary stumbling blocks to a victorious Christian life. I think that we, we have a, an improper understanding of, of what God wants to do in our life through suffering, and that, that causes us to stumble. Now, it's not the only one. It's not the only stumbling block. An improper and an unbiblical perspective of prosperity can lead to the same result with a different route. But, but here's the truth, and, and this is on your outline sheet. Suffering in this life is more prevalent than prosperity. Suffering is more prevalent than prosperity. Suffering at some level is something that every single one of us deal with at one time or another. It is part of life. In fact, Job told us in, in Job 5 verse 7 that yet man is born unto trouble. As the sparks fly upward. And, and, and maybe there are, you know, some younger, some of our younger crowd out there. And you think, well, you know, maybe I haven't, I haven't suffered that much. And I would just say keep living. <laughs> just keep living. It's coming. Because as, as Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. See, no one is exempt, and no one is immune. And that is especially true of Christians. You might remember another time Jesus spoke in John 16, 33. He said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tri- tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the fact is, we all face trouble. We all face suffering and hard times and hard things to overcome. I don't, I don't think I have to convince you of, of all that. And suffering happens for various reasons. We suffer for various things in in our life and for various reasons. Sometimes it's our own stupidity and our own disobedience, our own bad choices. Sometimes it's just the result of sin in general that exists in this sinful world. So, you know, just by way of an example, there are people, you know, who have developed cancer because of their own bad decisions, maybe involving smoking or drinking or, or, or something like that. And yet there are people diagnosed with cancer every day where there's no apparent reason. They take good care of themselves. They otherwise make healthy choices. And all you can say is that it rains on the just and the unjust. It's just a result of the degradation of this world due to sin. The, the Bible tells us that sin always leads to death. 
It's Romans 6.23. Sometimes we face chastisement and discipline from the Lord because of our disobedience. And suffering comes from that. And in that form, David is a good biblical example of that. He, he sinned with Bathsheba and he sinned against her husband Uriah, the Hittite. And David suffered immensely from that sin. You can, you can see that suffering specifically in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because in God's grace, he forgives our sin. But in his government, he allows us to reap what we sow. And sometimes we reap suffering through what we've sown. And, and then others face suffering because of their stand for Christ. That was much of what Paul described in these last couple of chapters, particularly at the end of chapter 11. He faced false accusations and death and stonings and beatings and whippings, all because he preached the gospel. In Galatians 6.17, Paul said, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And that was true both physically and spiritually. But the, the fact is, Paul suffered throughout his life because of his stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, because he preached the gospel unashamedly. And, and we're going to see his suffering today again. But the point I want you to get this morning is that while suffering is one of the primary stumbling blocks to a victorious Christian life, like I just said, if it is viewed correctly, and, and by that I mean biblically, it can also be a great catalyst to victory, to victorious Christian living. It can be a stumbling block, and it is a stumbling block, but it can be exactly what God uses in your life to take you to another level in your relationship with him. And again, I, I know that none of us per, you know, particularly want to hear that, you know, myself included. But the truth is we all need constant reminders to keep a spiritual focus instead of an earthly focus. It's so easy to get focused on this world and the things of this world and, and, and maintain an earthly focus. And, and, and sometimes suffering is, is what it takes to remind us to keep our lives focused where they need to be, to keep focused on the spiritual side of things. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Because in a very real sense, like I said, there are all sorts of reasons why we face suffering in this life. But in a very real sense, it doesn't really matter the reason for the suffering. God always wants to use it in your life. Even if it's, because, even if it's for your own bad decisions, even if it's for your own disobedience, God still wants to use that suffering in your life to draw you closer to him. So let's look at, at this text and see the suffering in Paul's life and how he used its good work to propel him along in his relationship with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll read verses 6 through 10. Paul says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to take this time this morning to, to clear our minds, to focus on you, to focus on your word, and, and to, to hear from you this morning. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit does the work that only it can do. It's nothing that I can do. But your Holy Spirit can, can reveal and enlighten um, everybody's eyes into what you have for us in this passage this morning. So Lord, I pray that you do just that. Lord, I pray that you use it to teach each and every one of us uh, what we need and, and to draw us closer to you in it. Lord, I pray that everything is said is, is true to your word, and I, I pray that it's glorifying and honoring to you. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're, like I said, we're going to get a very practical lesson today 
and, and how to deal with suffering and the good work of suffering because God does want to do a work in our life through, through it, through suffering. And he wants to change us. He wants to change us to be more like him. And, and suffering can do that. I mean, Philippians 3.10, not even on your outline sheet, but talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. And so when we deal with suffering, we are brought closer to Christ because Christ suffered. And so we can be brought into fellowship with him if we use it uh, correctly. And so here is where it starts. We're, we're going to kind of see this, this step-by-step process. And here's where it starts. This is our first step in the good work of suffering, is to, to make it do the work that God intends. You have to see the biblical purpose of suffering. You have to see the biblical purpose of suffering. And the purpose that Paul lays out for us in our text is humility. It's humility. Look with me again at verses 6 and 7. It says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now again, you, you always have to remember context. And this is coming off what we looked at last week. How Paul had been give, given an abundant revelation. Right? He had been taken to the third heaven and, and heard unspeakable words. And, and Jeff laid all that out for us. And how that you know, occurred at, at the time of Paul's death from stoning in Acts 14, verses 19 and 20. He was obviously resurrected. And, and now, some 14 years later, he's talking to the Corinthians about it. And Paul was saying, because of the abundance of the revelations that I've had in my life, If anyone can glory in all that God has done in their life, it's me. And listen, that was certainly true. Paul was a very unique and special individual. And and like he said, he was given an abundance of revelations. Because it wasn't just the Acts 14 death and resurrection. Paul had several experiences in his life where he saw and talked to or at least heard directly from the Lord. It started with his salvation experience. His isn't like yours. Let me tell you that. It's very unique. Uh, You see that in Acts chapter 9. Verses 3 through 6 says, And as he, this is talking about Paul, Saul of Tarsus, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into thy city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. That's a pretty unique conversion, salvation experience. He heard directly from the Lord. There was another time in Acts chapter 27. We looked at that chapter a couple months ago, where Paul was a prisoner. He was on a ship got caught up in the crazy storm, they're they're headed to shipwreck, it appeared they were all going to die, but the Lord revealed himself to Paul again. And Paul reported on it in in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 and 24, and he said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, that's, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, this angel of God, Jesus, spoke to him, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So Paul had an abundance of revelations. And and as we talked about last week, even more important than those experiences, according to 2 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, was that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul wrote nearly half of our New Testament. Paul was given specific revelation from God that we still use today in this book. And all of that could certainly puff up a man. And so God's way of dealing with that risk in Paul's life was to allow this thorn in the flesh, a means of suffering. Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure. He says that two different times. That means, and and to be exalted above measure, that means to become haughty. 
or to lift oneself up. It's the same word Paul uses to, to describe what the Antichrist is going to do. In 2 Thessalonians 2.4, who opposeth and exalteth, exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he that as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's that what the Antichrist will do is exalt himself. It's the same thing we see in verses like Proverbs 16.18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so God and Paul knew the danger that he faced. And the danger was pride. And listen, if this was something that was a risk to Paul, something that he was prone to, then you have to know that it is a risk to each one of us as well. And it is something that we are prone to as well. We may not have had the revelations that Paul had, but we likely don't have the godliness that Paul had either. It's a risk that we all face. And we face it all the time. And it's deadly. In fact, and and this is on your outline sheet, the biggest danger we face in this life is pride. Not suffering. So I want you to catch this. Not, the biggest risk that we face isn't the suffering that we go through. The biggest risk is pride. Is you have to catch this because according to these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God allows suffering to keep pride out. Suffering is used to keep us from sinning. That means God views pride as much worse than suffering. It's much more dangerous to us than even terrible physical things that some of us have to deal with. But the problem is many of us view life from a completely opposite perspective. And we wish to avoid suffering like the plague. And, and listen, I get it. I, again, listen, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir in this. I, I dislike suffering just as much as all of you do. I'm not, I'm not signing up for it. I'm not, you know, but I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible has to say about it. And God views pride as worse, as worse for us. And so too many times... We, don't, we want to avoid suffering, but we don't avoid pride. And we choose sin over suffering. That's why you must see the purpose in your suffering. God knows that it's good for you because pride is so bad for you. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Amen. The suffering keeps us humble. That is part of its purpose. Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure. And in that sense, it is actually part of the grace of God. You see that not only in James 4, 6, right? We just read, but he giveth more grace. He giveth grace unto the humble. But you also see that in our text. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, let me show it to you again. Verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now I want to look at these words very carefully and very specifically. We're going, to, we're going to break this down piece by piece. Paul said there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. So I, I want you to notice what he didn't say. He, did, he didn't say there was inflicted upon me a thorn in the flesh. He didn't say anything like that. He said, there was given to me. You see, he reckoned his great trial to be a gift from God. And all God's gifts are given through grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And listen, that is a holy reckoning. That is seeing the purpose of the, the, the physical things that we deal with in this life. And just deciding and reckoning that it was given to you by God because he loves you that much. But, and if that happens, don't abuse that love. Because anything you receive from the Lord, any blessing you receive through his grace is prostituted when it becomes the object of pride. And I, I hope you heard that because I said something there. 
The greatest danger we face is pride. And when you get prideful from the grace that God has given you, you're using that grace for the exact opposite purpose than what it was intended. And that is a, a slap to his face. That's even spiritual adultery. But on the flip side, when you get this right, when you can apply the, these steps that we're, we're going to see from Paul today, then you are on to something quite powerful. And, and we're going to get there before we're done. But again, what was given to him? What was the cause of his suffering? This was something that Paul calls a thorn in the flesh. And the Bible defines a thorn the same way we do. You know, it's just a point. It's a prickle. But, but when it sticks you, nobody likes it. You know, it's going to cause pain. It's, 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 it's going to cause inconvenience. It's not going to go away until you get it out. And it's just going to be there. And, it's, and you're going to hate it. All right? And you, you just have to get it out. But Paul, Paul didn't get to get his thorn out. And, and for Paul, it was something physical because it was a thorn in the flesh, not, not his spirit. So Paul was dealing with a physical ailment that caused him constant, consistent grief. And it's interesting because the Bible doesn't tell us here what it was specifically. It was, it's just a thorn in the flesh. Now, people have obviously speculated about what it was, about what Paul dealt with. And you read a bunch of different commentaries, you'll get a bunch of different ideas. Um, the, you know, one of the biggest ones you'll see, and I, and I think biblically the, the one that you can see the most in the Bible, the, the main physical ailment that, that we see related to Paul had something to do with his eyes. So, for example, when he was talking to the Galatians, he said this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. He says, you know how through the infirmary of the flesh, so it's a good cross-reference there, through the infirmary of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear record, for I bear you record, that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So we see something there about, you know, something with his, with his eyes. Um, he said, my eyes were bad, so if it was possible, you would have even given me yours. Even back to his conversion in Acts chapter 9, we, we read a few of those verses earlier. Well, there was one physical thing that, that happened to Paul, and it involved his eyes. He, he was blind for three days. Acts chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and, and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And while they don't have anything to do with Paul, God has preserved a couple of interesting Old Testament cross-references for us that I, that I just want to show you, because, because I just want to emphasize that every word of God is pure, every single one of them. And so you have some cross-references like Joshua 23, 13 that says, Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And Numbers 33, verse 55 says, But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes, and thorns in your sides, and he shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. And again, those verses don't prove anything in and of themselves, but, but do know that God chose every word in his word very specifically, and he preserved them perfectly for us. And how you get to conclusions and how you and get to interpretation and not do private interpretation is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. So I don't know for sure, but my best guess is that Paul's thorn in the flesh had something to do with his eyes. That's, what, that's the, the best that we can see. But here's the thing. I think we can't know for sure for a reason. And I think he doesn't say what it specifically is, particularly in this passage, for a reason. And the reason is so that you can put yourself in Paul's place. And you can apply Paul's lessons to your situation. If you knew exactly what Paul was dealing with, you'd give yourself an excuse and say, well, Paul didn't deal with what I'm dealing with. No, the point is God didn't tell you specifically. So it doesn't matter. 
You don't need to know. But if you happen to be dealing with suffering at any level right now, what you do need to do is put yourself in Paul's place and see the purpose behind it and see the good that God wants to do through it. So let's continue through this verse. He said there was a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And again, I, I just want you to see the specificity of these words. It was the messenger of Satan. It wasn't the attack of Satan. And the word messenger quite literally means angel. In fact, it's, it's usually translated that way. Most, most of the times you find it in the Bible. So it was a physical ailment in Paul's flesh, but it was demonic in, in origin. Make no mistake about it. It was from one of Satan's cronies. But God allowed it for the purpose that we've already talked about. It's very similar to the story of Job. Satan had to get God's permission. But God can even use the devil to accomplish his purposes. It's the application of Genesis 50 verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. This was Joseph talking to his brothers. But God meant it for good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. And what was Satan allowed to do to Paul? He was allowed to buffet him. That means to rap with fist. It, it's just constantly there, just beating him up. This is what was done to Jesus while he was on the cross. Matthew 26, 67. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. And so I want you to understand this pain and the suffering that Paul was dealing with. And and. And I want you to understand, you know, my, my thoughts on it. This is something that was very real. This is something that was very real and was there all the time. And I know the pain that you deal with, the pain that I deal with, the suffering that we have to endure in this life is very real too. So I promise you I'm, I'm not trying to minimize any of that. I'm not trying to make light of it in, 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 in any way. The, the pain that we deal with, the things that we encounter in this life just because of sin and just because of everything that this life comes, they're real and they hurt and they're painful. And sometimes they don't let up. You know, the, sometimes they can even be debil debilitating. And, and all I know to say to that is... You just got to keep focus as, as Paul is showing us. You just got to keep this, this right spiritual perspective. Because he was in a street fight with the devil. I mean, that's kind of what it was saying. It was, that's what buffeted means. And he, it just never stopped. And, and like I said, maybe your pain doesn't stop either. And it's debilitating. All I know to say is to follow Paul's second step in the good work of suffering. And that is to seek the biblical path of suffering. And that is the path of fellowship. It's the path of fellowship. Because in these times, the, the, you're at risk. When you're dealing with some of the, the tough things in life, we are all at risk because we get a choice now. And we can choose to get mad at God for what we're having to deal with. And we can get mad at the people of God. And we can withdraw ourselves from everything that he's doing. Or you can draw close to him in fellowship. That is the biblical path of suffering. That is what God's desire is for you. It's what he desires. Charles Spurgeon said, anything is a blessing which makes us pray. And that's a biblical viewpoint. Because there's a lot of bad things that make us pray. In fact... Too many times we're prone to only pray when the bad things are going on. Or only pray, you know, seriously when the bad things are going on. But So that's a biblical viewpoint. That's seeing the purpose and following this path. But look at verse 8. Because he's dealing with this, he gets this thorn in the flesh. What's he do? He goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And then he hears back from the Lord. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So that's what Paul did. He went straight to the Lord. He didn't pull away. He drew close. So Paul prayed, 
And he heard back from the Lord. And for us, that is the path of fellowship. We seek him out in prayer. And we hear from him through his word. And even though it may not feel like it sometimes, can I tell you that to heal your spiritual wounds, those two things are enough. That the, the prayer and the word of God are enough. And this world and even today's church will tell you that going to the word of God and, and going to the Lord in prayer isn't enough. And that you need therapy or psychiatry, whatever. Not Paul. He didn't even go to Timothy or Titus. He didn't go to his friends. He didn't go to somebody with an earthly formula. He didn't find a therapy to fix his pain. He didn't look for a technique. He wasn't after human wisdom. He didn't try to find the path of comfort. Because when it comes to spiritual matters, you have to have a spiritual solution. So what you need is spiritual fellowship. Now, if you have a physical problem, Seek out physical, medical solutions. And if God sees fit, if you have a physical ailment and God sees fit to heal you through the miracle of modern medicine, for example, we'll praise the Lord. But if not, your only recourse is to draw close in fellowship to him as seen in this example of Paul. And I I want you to see how Paul did it. Again, I want to break down the words. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. So first, I I want you to see that he besought the Lord. And it may not seem like it, but it's not a little fact that he, he actually addressed Jesus in this prayer. That's the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he didn't address God the Father. He, he, he addressed the Lord Jesus. And that is just another proof of the deity of Christ, not that we need it anymore, but the Bible constantly and continually shows Jesus as God and additionally in this case Paul appealed to the one who knew exactly how he felt Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 tell us that for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin and then verse 16 let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Paul did exactly that. He came boldly to the throne of grace, and he found grace. We're, we're going to see that. He found grace to help in his time of need. But he did it because Jesus, and he addressed the Lord, because Jesus knew exactly what he was dealing with. In fact, Jesus did the exact same thing when he lived his physical life on this earth and got the exact same response when he was dealing with his deepest point of suffering one that included death by the way so Paul besought the Lord thrice just as Jesus besought his father thrice in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross asking of God if if he would take this cup take the wrath away from him Matthew 26 verse 39 says and he he speaking of Jesus went a little further And fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he did this three times. You remember. I mean, you can see it down to verse 44. And he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. It's when he he took a few of his disciples with him, and they couldn't stay awake. And, you know, and he's like, you know, the the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. and, And, um... But he, he said, prayed this prayer three times. And so Paul had a model in Jesus. And, but while the, there is certainly something to the number three in the Bible, I don't actually think the fact that they prayed, that they each prayed three times, is all that significant. Now, there are some cool pictures regarding like resurrection power and accepting God's will for your life. But I, I think that's actually secondary. But what I do believe is significant is that they both prayed until they got an answer. And then they didn't have to pray anymore. And I think you see that exact principle in Luke 18 with the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. She just kept coming. She wouldn't stop. The Bible says by her continual coming, she wearied him. And then in verse 7 of that passage, we read, "And, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? 
So there's, there's nothing about coming three times in there specifically. It's about coming to the Lord until you get an answer. Because here's what you need to understand. To keep asking God does not signify a lack of faith. It signifies your belief that he is the only one able to supply. So to keep asking God, that's not actually a lack of faith. It's just your recognition that he's the only one that has an answer. And it's, it's good for us to do that and to keep coming to the Lord until we get an answer. But here's the thing. Then it becomes accepting the answer, even if it's one we don't like, even if it's not what we were praying for. Do you keep in fellowship then? Do you stay in his word then? Because like I said, there's a risk between steps one and two. So when, you, when, when you're dealing with suffering, there's a, there's a risk that that suffering pushes you away from God instead of pulling you close to him so there's a risk there but there's a risk here too because sometimes we pray and again God answers we get an answer but it's not the answer we wanted and again those are the hard things in life and you're at risk there on what you're going to do with the Lord when the answer is no and 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 it's that's a challenge And so we have to be able to deal with it. And what you have to do in those moments is our third step. And that is to seize the biblical power in suffering. Because when you are able to do this, this is where you get help. This is where you get real help. Look back at verse 9. And he said unto me, so Paul goes to him three times, and he hears back from the Lord. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So here we see the second message in this passage. The the thorn in the flesh was Satan's message to Paul. But God had a message too. And this was a message of grace. And, and praise the Lord, Paul got to share this message. He, he couldn't share the words he heard while he was in the third heaven. But it's really good for us that he was able to share these words. And ultimately, the message that Paul received from God is that even in your sufferings, I am the same God who gave you the abundance of the revelations. I'm the same God. And you're going to have good times and you're going to have bad times. I'm still the same. I'm still here. I still love you, and I still want what's best for you. And so then you just have to be able to to live out Philippians 4.12, where Paul says, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see, help through God's grace, what we saw in Hebrews 4.16, is always available And no matter how tough your situation is, and there are tough ones, there are bad ones out there, and and full disclosure, ones that as a pastor I struggle to even help people through. I mean, all I can do is point them back to the Word of God, and, and that is the answer, that is enough, but I understand the difficulty in working through it sometimes. But the Bible says that even in your worst situation, that grace is always available, And you're not dealing with anything new. God always provides help. You just have to be willing to accept it his way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's not strange, and it's not new. And listen, there is power in those trials through God's sufficient grace, even when the answer to your prayer is no. God told Moses the same thing that he told Paul. In our text. So back in, in Deuteronomy, so this is 
so they come through the wilderness. Right before the nation of Israel is getting ready to go into the promised land, Moses kind of makes one last ditch effort, right? He, he knows he can't go, but he's, 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 he gives it one more shot. And, and look at God's response. We see this in, in verse Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. And Moses said, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. Verse 26, but the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this matter. I mean, you know, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> but, but this is pretty good. Because with that word, he said, let it suffice thee. He, that's what he told Paul. My grace is sufficient. So he said, let it suffice thee. Let me... Let me be be the sufficiency. That if you don't get what you want, get your sufficiency in me and in my grace. And there's a divine power in that. That was able to reconcile Moses to the will of God, to bring him to a spot, to be okay with it. And listen, we need this in our life. Because if God does not, by his providence, give us what we desire... Yet, if by his grace he makes us content with it, it has the same end. We can be okay because God can make us okay. Because his grace is sufficient. You see, sometimes God does not meet our need by substitution. He meets it by transformation in us. And again, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend like that's easy. and It's not. It's not easy at all. But there is a power that can be realized through it. It's what Paul says. And God's power in the midst of these times involves bending our will to his. It's, it's what we saw with Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. It's bending our will to his. It's about bringing him glory. And in return, we get to be closer to him. We get to partake in those fellowship of his sufferings. We say, God, take the thorn away. And God says, I'll add grace to the thorn. Because that's how my glory will shine through. And in saying that, God answers our prayer. Because, because watch this. What was Paul's prayer in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and even Moses' prayer in, in Deuteronomy chapter 3? And I'm not even asking what, what were their words, but what was their heart? What was their, their soul, their spirit behind the prayer? Paul's word was, let it depart from me. Take it from me. But the prayer was, God, deal, will you deal with this? Would, would you make this better? So the great thing about our God is that even though he doesn't always answer our request as we state them, he always answers our need. And he answers it through grace. And grace has to do with God doing for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if you never understand the, the, the full reason here on earth, you just trust in his promises and move forward in the power that you're able to receive from that. Because, because here is something I, I want you to catch. God didn't give Paul any explanations. Paul didn't tell him the reason why. He just gave him a promise. And the promise was, my grace is sufficient for thee. So if at any point it became not sufficient for Paul, if Paul said, no, that's not true, well, who's wrong? You know, Paul or God? No, we get a promise from God that his grace is sufficient. And again, listen, I understand that it's difficult to reconcile that at times, but a promise of God is just that. He never lies. And it's true, and so you have to be able to see it and expect it. And the, and the truth is, if we live our life looking for explanations, we're living it wrong. Because we don't live on explanations. We live on promises. And that was supposed to be, if you take a note, you ought to write that down. That was supposed to be in your outline sheet. Just whenever I was putting the outline sheet together, I had a fever of like 103, and so I was, my brain was spitted. But um, we don't live on explanations. God doesn't owe us that. 
We live on his promises. We trust in them. Our feelings change. God's promises never change. Promises generate faith, and faith strengthens hope. Paul claimed God's promise, and he did it most gladly. He said, most gladly, therefore. So ponder that one for a little bit. But Paul claimed God's promise and drew on the grace that was offered to him. And God didn't change the situation by removing the affliction, but he did change the situation by adding a new ingredient, grace. You see, our God is the God of all grace. 1 Peter 5.10 tells us that. His throne is a throne of grace. That's Hebrews 4.16. The word of God is the word of his grace. That's Acts 20.32. And the promise is that to the humble, he giveth more grace. James 4.6. However we look at it, God's grace is sufficient for every need that we have. And through it, you receive his power. But only when you give up and when you give it all to him. When you recognize your weakness... And embrace it to his glory. Look at at verse 9 one more time. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His grace is sufficient, and his strength is made perfect in weakness. What a sentence, what a verse that is. And it's how you get his power. It's how you get help. His strength is made perfect. It means it's completed. It it has achieved its purpose when you are able to give it all over to him. And then his power rests upon you. And let me tell you, that is a very interesting phrase that we obviously don't have time to dive into. But I love the word. and The the rest, it means to tabernacle, just to to tent upon. What's... I love the word because what is one thing that we don't have when we're focused on the thorn? We don't have rest and we don't have peace. But God will give it to you in your weakness. And listen, God's strength has always been displayed in human weakness. What made Jesus' physical life on this earth, what made him so strong? What made the martyrs throughout church history that died for this book, what made them so strong? Throughout the entire Bible, throughout church history, when men have suffered and died, the ultimate form of human weakness, it has always led to great spiritual victories. The suffering of the saints has always been the victories of truth. And Paul knew that. And so he was able to glory in his infirmities, in his thorn, to take pleasure in them according to verse 10. And I don't believe that means he preferred pain to health. But I do believe it means he preferred God's power to his own. He preferred God's grace and God's glory to his own glory. And in that, there's real help. Because it's hope. It's where we get hope. It's Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Those verses sum up this sermon perfectly. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, but the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I mean, those are our steps. It takes patience to see the purpose of suffering. It takes experience to follow the path of the fellowship and seeking out the Lord in your pain, because over in Romans 15, we, Romans 15, we get this same, the, the same pattern, and it's laid out there, patience, comfort of the scriptures, and hope. So that experience that you get from the fellowship you have from the Lord and his word and the comfort that you get from his scriptures, that leads to hope. And that's help. It's God's grace. And it's always available to you. It just doesn't. You just can't get it on your terms. Anybody can brag when they're strong. Anybody can brag when they're on top. But the question I want to leave you with is this. How much glory are you giving to God with a thorn still in you? And it's a tough question, I I know, but it's one worth our consideration. So I want us to do just that. I want you to consider that question I just posed. How much glory... Are you giving to God with the thorn still in you? And, and, and for some of you, I, I want you to consider your relationship with God. Do you have one? 
Has there ever been a time that in faith you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? We heard the testimony this morning of those that, 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 that were just baptized. And if you've never done that, that God has an offer of grace to you that will give you more help than you've ever imagined. And it's the, the grace of, 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 of the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and placing your faith in that. And if you have never done that, why don't you do it today? We're going we're gonna to sing a, a final song. And like, like Jeff told you about, we're going um, to be passing the plates again. Praise the Lord. But if you need to come forward, if you need to talk to one of us because, because you need to get saved this morning, don't let that detour you. Just, just fight through. Just, just make your way up here, and, and we'll have someone show you what it means uh, to be saved. But for all of the rest of us, let's consider what we're doing for the Lord, the glory that we're giving Him, even when we're dealing with those hard things in life. And again, I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir in this. Uh, these are the messages that I don't, I don't like necessarily because I, I don't like to suffer. Um, but i I got to be true to what the Bible has to say. And, and um, it's good for us and if we use it uh, the way God intended. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your word. And Lord, um, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit again has used it in our life this morning. And I just pray that um, if there's anyone here that, that doesn't know you, that your Holy Spirit has convicted them of their need uh, of a Savior and that their need to get saved this morning. And so, Lord, I, I pray that they would do just that. And, and Lord, um, we just, I mean, there are things, the tough things that we deal with in this life. And, and Lord, we just, man, we want to be able to, to give you glory in the midst of it, and yet, Lord, it's such a struggle at times, and so I, I pray for that, um, for that balancing act of just knowing how to move forward in your grace and receiving the real help that, that you offer through that grace and, and the power um, that comes in our weakness as you, as you rest upon us, your power rest upon us in that, Lord. It's great truths. They're not always easy to hear, but we, we in spite of that, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth that is that it is and the real help that we get because of it, Lord. Um, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.